Maybe it will be a good idea for all of us as individuals, as families, as married couples, as a church corporately to make a very intentional declaration today. Just go ahead and decide, pour concrete, draw a line in the sand and say, and let these two words, there's two words that I want to give us today, and let these two words be the mantra for our year 2020. Those two words are simply this, irrational generosity. Irrational generosity. Get those two words deep down in your spirit today. Write it down. Type it in your phone. Let it be your hashtag for the year, if you will. But irrational generosity. Irrational, it simply means that it's not logical at all. That it's not reasonable at all. It, to be irrational means to think or to talk or act without inclusion of rationality at all. Irrationality more specifically described is more specifically described as an action or opinion given through inadequate use of reason. Now ordinarily we wouldn't stand before someone or listen to someone who would tell us to live and act in such a way, would we? Ordinarily whenever when we heard somebody tell us to you act and live irrationally you would say, I'm not listening to this guy anymore, and they would get up and leave. I'm glad none of you have left yet. I'm glad you're going to hang out for the rest of the message today, I hope, anyway. But irrational generosity. It's amazing how God's laws of operation seem to contradict or always be opposite of our human uh, way of operating and our human way and our human logic many times. We, we think that if we want to achieve great success, that means we gotta we gotta work harder and we gotta we gotta get more and we gotta work and we gotta we gotta climb the ladder and we gotta pull down whoever we can pull down to get to the top of the ladder. But in God's kingdom, achieving greatness or achieving great success means that you are you bend you bend a knee and you take a basin of water and a towel and you serve. It's amazing how the opposites are. We don't think of greatness. We don't think of greatness in that way from our human perspective and our human reasoning. When we think of greatness, we think we have to do all these uh, conniving things to somehow get to the top. But, 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 but greatness, Jesus said, if you want greatness, you, you serve. You humble yourself and you serve. If we want more, if we want more, sometimes that we feel like that means we got to keep more. we got to go out and get more. We get more. But in God's kingdom, he says, if you want more, if, if you want to have more in your life, here's how you get it. You give. You give. You become generous. If, the more you give, the more you receive. He says, if you want life. I, I see a lot of dead people walking around a lot of times, not from this congregation, not from this group of folks, but you see them, you work with them, you, you pass by them in Walmart. Just, just There's death all over them. There's no life. There's no hope. There's no joy. There's no peace. And Jesus says, if you want life, if you want real life, here's how you find it. You find it in death. <laughs> you live by dying. Isn't it amazing how God's economy works completely different than our human economy? But can I tell you that God's kingdom and his principles, they work every single time. It seems irrational to us. It doesn't make any sense. There's no reasoning to us. It, it, there's no human logic to us. But in God's kingdom, the irrational generosity, it works every time. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Let him deny himself. 
put myself on the back burner. It's not about me anymore. It's all about others. It's all about his kingdom. He says, if you want to follow after me, if you want to come after me, if you want to, if you want to be a part of this thing called the kingdom of God, if you want it to transform your life, then you have to deny yourself. It can't be about you anymore. Take up your cross. He will take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, whoever's working so hard to keep it all together, to save it, if I can get more, if I can achieve more, if I can be greater, whoever's trying to do this, he will lose his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will ultimately find it. The truth is this concept of irrational generosity or or just generosity in general, it does not come natural to us as humans. We, have, we know people that are very generous people. You know them and I know them. We, I, I'm preaching to a very generous church family today. It, it doesn't come natural to many people, mainly because we're all born consumers. Think about it for a minute. We're all born receiving. We're all born getting. The, after that very first cry uh, that, that, you, that you bellowed out, it wasn't very long before somebody was sticking a bottle in your mouth and they were feeding you. You didn't have to ask for it. You didn't have to go out and work for it. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to, you didn't have to do anything but just receive it. And it wasn't very long till before you knew it, you were in a bedroom that was provided for you that you didn't do anything for and you were sleeping in a baby bed every night. They were tending to your every single need and there was toys on the floor and it wasn't very long before school clothes were being purchased around the end of the summer and new shoes and you didn't do anything for it and it took a while it took a while in this this process of growing up before we ever learned that guess what we're not just simply consumers we're supposed to be contributors as well but we're born that way we're born into a system that made us and makes us consumers one of the first words learned by toddlers after learning mama and dada and papa and mimi and all these words, one of the first usable words that they learn is what? Mine. Mine. You don't walk into many nurseries and hear ch children walking around with toys saying, yours, yours, yours. It just doesn't happen very much. We live in a, we live in a consumer mindset, consumer mentality. If, if we're to be very honest, we're born, let's just say it, what it is, we're born selfish. It's what we are. It's all about us. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of people in my life and a lot of people in your life you've met, they never grew out of it. <laughs> They're still very selfish today. It's all about them, but generosity is an essential part. Generosity is a core value that must be in every one of our lives, and it must be a core value of our church family and who we are and what we're about. You've proven that that's what we're about, but, 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 but again, here on this very first Sunday, I want it to be our declaration for the year. I want it to be bionic generosity this year. I mean like generosity on steroids this year. I want us to give, give, give. I want to be giving more than I've ever given in my entire life. I want to live the next 12 months. I want to live the rest of my life, but I want to declare that the next 12 months are going to be the most irrational, generous season of my life. It, but it is a key, generosity is a key and essential part of our spiritual circulation system. It's it, it, everything that's living is circulating. L look at our own physical makeup. When, when, when circulation stops, 
Life stops. I, I wish that we could just do a little breathing exercise. I won't ask you to do this this morning because I wouldn't want to hurt anybody physically. But, but if we did a little breathing exercise this morning, I would ask everybody to just inhale, the largest inhale, breathe in as much as they can and hold that breath. And just hold it for a little bit. And, and, and for the first few seconds, it may be okay, but after, after several seconds, it's going to start getting a little uncomfortable if you just hold that breath. After a while, if you have the wheel and you're able to hold it long enough, eventually there's going to be no more oxygen coming in. and Eventually, you'd probably pass out if you could even stand to hold it. But we're, we're, we're not only created to breathe in, it's equally important that we exhale. It's all part of the circulation system in our body. This is the reason why drinking tons of water and, 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 and exercise is so important. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Now they're calling it New Year's intentions. That's what they're calling it now. There's always a new, there's always a new thing because we, we found that when we resolve something, it doesn't work. So, so let's just intend on doing something. That way if we intend on doing it, if we mess up, then we, it was just my intention. I never said, I never resolved that I was going to do that. I just intended on doing it. So it gives us a little out at the end. How many of you either made a resolution or an intention that you're going to get better physically this year? I'm going to get in the gym. I'm going to work out. Okay, there's two of you. God bless you. The rest of us are just going, we're just all going to stay fat and happy. The rest of our, they're all 2020. But, but the reason this is so important in our lives is that when we exercise, when we get on that treadmill or when we get out there on the, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not here to be a physical uh, fitness coach today. I believe I'm the last one in the room that needs to be doing that. But I do know enough. I'm like Daddy said a while ago, I don't know a lot, but I know a little bit. And this is what I do know uh, about that. And that is when we exercise, we, our breathing gets heavier, does it not? And as we breathe heavier, we begin to create this circulation that literally begins to push toxins and poisons out of our system. So the more that we breathe heavy, we're actually getting rid of all those germs and junk and poisons that otherwise will lock in in our physical system and remain in us. And so now we are, we are exhaling it out and we're getting rid of all of it. So not only do we have a physical circulation system, we also have a spiritual circulation system. And when we are generous in spirit, when, when we decide I'm going to live my life with irrational generosity, when we have this generous system, a spirit at work in our life, in, in, this, in, in our world, in our, in, our, in our spirit and in our heart, we push stuff out of our system. When we decide I'm going to live with irrational generosity, all of a sudden we begin to exhale things out of our spirit that, that do not need to be there that will otherwise remain dormant and get locked in. Things like anger, things like bitterness, things like judgmentalism and criticism, stuff like envy and jealousy. Stuff that we've held on to for years that the Lord has been wanting us to release and let go of. Whenever we live with irrational generosity, it creates that circulation system in our lives. And all of a sudden, these things have to go. By being generous, we circulate the junk out of our system. We push spiritual, spiritual toxins out that otherwise will collect in us. We push spiritual poisons out of our system, keeping ourselves and our spirit healthy and alive. And this is not just true for us as individuals, but it's true in our homes, in our marriages, 
in our relationships, in our families, in our church. I, I love this church is going to be 18 years old in May. I'm so excited about that. 18 years. In two years, we're going to have a big old hoot nanny around here. But I'm going to tell you something. You might, I don't even know what a hoot nanny is. I've just heard that my whole life, and I, I repeat it. But we, whatever a hoot nanny is, we're going to have it here in two years when we celebrate two decades, 20 years. But I'm going to tell you, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the people that have plugged in to this family of believers. You don't have, a, you don't have any, for that matter, that I'm aware of, any of this, yeah, yeah, this, and yeah, yeah, that, and that side's not talking to this side, and everybody's criticizing the preacher. You may be criticizing me, but I, don't, I ain't heard about it, so don't let me hear it, okay? No, just keep it to yourself. But, but the bottom line is, you don't have that here. You know why? Because you're living with a spirit of generosity. If you've said a long time ago you know what it's not about me it's not about my needs it's not about what I get out of the deal because if we live in that place if it's all about the inhale eventually something in the natural is not going to meet the need anymore now all of a sudden we all those toxins sit there and now all of a sudden I'm becoming judgmental now all of a sudden I'm becoming critical now all of a sudden I've become so selfish and it's all about me but you're an exercising church we're just going to call this uh, planet fitness life church how about that because you are you people are in spiritual shape in scripture this concept it's often referred to as the law of the harvest some people call it the, the law of sowing and reaping and I've often had an aversion to speaking about this particular subject because especially when it comes to money and although we're not really here to talk about money and tithes and that kind of stuff today but but anytime that it comes to speaking on on this subject I've had an aversion to it because because there's been kind of a distortion of this message uh, around and about that if you if you give you're going to get all this amazing stuff and and Jesus is just kind of like this this uh big spiritual slot machine you put a little something in and he's going to pour it all back out to you and it's a really distorted and gross message but there is a message in there and there is a word it's the law of the harvest it's the law of sowing and reaping and when you give it will come back over and over and over again and many times over the message of sowing and reaping simply stated it's this you may want to type this in you may want to write this down somewhere this is simply stated the message of sowing and reaping. What we keep is all we have. But what we give, God multiplies. What we keep, what we hoard, that's all we're going to have. That's it. So I hope you're happy with what you got. If you're going to keep, then I hope, I hope you like and are satisfied and happy because that's all. What you keep is all you have. But what we give, God multiplies. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now when Jesus was speaking here, he was actually speaking about judgment. How if you give judgment out, you're going to get judgment back. The more judgment you put out, the more judgment's going to come back on you. And he says if you give forgiveness, you're going to get forgiveness. So he but the, but the, the law is the same. The law of the harvest is the same. And the message that Jesus was saying here is that whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And then some on top of that. Jesus was speaking to a people that day who really understood agriculture. He would, he would speak well to our crowd if he was speaking in farming ter terms as he was here. And they would, they would have known that someone who was harvesting wheat, wheat that at the, end of the, at the end of the week, the laborers many times would have been paid 
in wheat. They would have been paid in, in some of the, the crop that was being, that was being harvested. And so when, go, when they were going from one side of the field to the other, many times collecting and, and harvesting and picking the, the, if it was wheat or whatever it might have been, many times what they would do is they would get from one end of the field to the other and the basket may be only half full or maybe three quarters of the way full. And before they filled the basket completely up, while it was still somewhat bearable and they could still carry it somehow, they would go in and empty it in the storehouse before they would go back and start the process all over again. They might, they might only fill it a little bit so that they, would, they wouldn't break their back somehow or, or they wouldn't hurt themselves in any way. But at the end of the week, when the week was coming to a close, a generous landowner would often pay the workers in the wheat that they were actually picking and harvesting. And he might say something to them like this. He might say, the last basket that you picked today, it's Friday afternoon, the last basket you picked today, it's not for me, it's for you. It's your wages. And you can take that basket home with you. Now here's my question for all of us today. All throughout the week, they've been filling that basket about halfway full, about three quarters of the way full. How full do you think this basket was? I would say that it was probably filled, good measure filled, pressed down, shaken together, and maybe even running over a little bit. It would have been pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's kind of like when you go to get an icy. How many of you, how many of you go into the convenience store to get you one of those big gulp ices? And you know, you, you go in there and you, you put the, the little plastic dome lid in there and you put it under the spout and you, you fill it. You know there's a lot of air in that, right? You know, they've got all of about a half a cent in that 99 cent icy you just bought. So you know what you do. You, 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 you pack it, and then you, you pull on it again, and then you kind of you let it come all the way up to the top of that dome, and then sometimes just squirt out a little bit at the top of that dome, and you <laughs> stick the straw in it. I've known people, I would never do this, but I've known people that will actually sit there and take a big old gulp through the straw and then fill it up again. I would never do that. I've just seen other people do it. So this is how Jesus is saying that the law of the harvest works. He's just saying this is how sowing and reaping works. Give, and it's going to be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. What we, keep, what, we, what we all need to keep in mind here, and we need to understand, is that what we keep is all we have. But what we give, God multiplies. Every single time we reap what we sow. If we sow judgment, we're going to reap judgment. If we sow criticism, guess what? Criticism is coming back to us. If you sow an apple seed, guess what you're going to get? You're not going to get a pear tree, I can promise you that. It may look like one, but it's not going to be one. You're going to get an apple tree. If you sow kindness, guess what we're going to get? Kindness. If we sow forgiveness, guess what's coming back? Forgiveness. People will overlook a multitude of sins in your life when you're just going around sowing forgiveness. We must learn to be generous, to live with irrational generosity with our time. I wish that we all could sit down with a planner this, this week and just begin to look at our week and look at our month and look at our year and say, where can I give? Where can I sow? Where can I give more 
time, we, we begin to look at our resources and our finances. And I'm going to tell you something, if I'm in the hole, it's the time for me to give more. And there's people in this room that could testify to that with me. It, you say, well, I can't afford to give. Guess what? If I'm in that state, I can't afford not to give. I, I have to. I'm not even going to sit here and talk about what we do as a church and all of that. You've been so generous, but generous in gestures. Generous in a jester, just a jester to someone. But, but what happens is, is selfishness takes over. And whenever, whenever, whenever instead of me being generous in, a, in just a kind word and a jester, immediately what I'm thinking is, is I don't feel like being nice today. I, I, I've had all kinds of hell break loose in my life. I don't feel like being kind today. I deserve to have a frown on my face. I deserve to have a scowl on my face. But whenever I make that conscious choice to say, you know what, it doesn't make sense to me. This is irrational to me. But you know what, I'm going to show kindness. I'm going to open a door. I'm going to smile. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to give a kind greeting. Even when everything inside of me is saying, I don't need to do this. I, I deserve different than this. And we get that sense of entitlement. We begin to give forgiveness even when forgiveness Forgiveness is not deserved. For some of us in this room today, possibly beginning with the guy behind the pulpit, it's time to give undeserved forgiveness. It's time to let it go. I'm not carrying it into 2020. Again, I'm letting it go. I'm not going to let this thing, this, I'm not going to let this cancer eat away at my life for one more year like it has. I am going to forgive. I'm letting go of the judgment. I'm going to be generous in the grace that I give to others. I'm going to be generous in encouragement. I'm going to be, give, I'm going to be generous in love. Give love where it's not deserved. Show kindness and love where it's not deserved, where it doesn't make any sense, where it's completely irrational. It's not logical to love this person. It's not, it doesn't make any reasonable sense to forgive this person. But I choose irrational generosity today. Not only do we reap what we sow, but, but when it comes to the things of God and the kingdom of God, the, the, what we reap, we will reap much more than what we sow. It's always more. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 29, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. A hundredfold. I, this, this, this particular verse used to always confuse me. He wasn't saying here that we're supposed to abandon our loved ones and, 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 and go live in a foreign land. That's not what he, he was talking about priority here. He was talking about where, where are you placing the things that are most important in your life. I, I know that your family is very important. It is most important on this planet. But I must be first. I must be above all of these things. And if you place me in the right priority, in the right place, I'm going to take care of all these things. But we spend all of our time worrying and stressing and trying to fix and trying to handle this thing and worry about these lands and this, this family member. And all God is saying is, is, put me first. It's all about priority. What we keep is all we have. What we give, God multiplies. It's irrational generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul said, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes, listen to this, in his heart. As he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or, or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful 
giver. If you give a lot, you're going to reap a lot. If you, if you sow a little, we're going to reap a little. Now by that, we're not talking about dollars and cents here. We're talking about the person who gave two cents is, going to, is not going to be as blessed as the person who gave two million dollars. I'm talking about a matter of the heart. If two cents is a lot to me, then I'm going to reap a lot. You understand what I'm saying here? It's not about who has more. In fact, it reminds me of the story. It reminds me of the story of the little girl whose mom gave her a $1 bill and a $5 bill before church. Said, now you put one in the offering and keep one for yourself. You decide which one it is. You can either give the one and keep the five or give the five and keep the one. The preacher gets up right before the offering time and he begins to talk about how that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. I've heard people refer to it as a hilarious giving. It's just fun. It's fun to give. And if you're in this church today, you know how fun it is to give. And so this little girl, after church, her mom comes up to her and says, well, which one did you? She said, I put the $1 bill in and I kept the five. She, goes, she asked her, well, why was that? She said, well, the preacher said that God loves a cheerful giver. And I figured if I had the five, I'd be more cheerful. And the truth is, many of us have bought into that lie. And we'll be happier just keeping what we have. Because what we keep is all we have. But what we give, God multiplies. You never hear any emotional keeping stories, do you? Do you, do you ever hear anybody say, you know, there was that single mom who I just felt led to just go buy Christmas for their kids, but thank you, Lord, you intervened and you stopped me along my way to Walmart, and now I was able to have that much more money to keep in my bank account. You never heard anybody share that testimony. You never heard anybody say, well, you know, they were getting ready to go on that missions trip, and, 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 and this was going to help feed, you know, 500 people for a day, this, this offering that I was going to give, but, but, but I stopped myself. I stopped myself in my tracks, and, and you know what? I didn't give that $100 to feed 500 people that day, and so, so thank you, Lord, that I, kept, I was able to save and keep my $100. You don't hear emotional keeping stories. <laughs> you only hear emotional generosity stories. I, I'll never forget the day. It's one of our favorite moments, and I, I don't even know how it happened. I'm driving down the road one day. I haven't, we haven't always passed the test. I can promise you I haven't. I, I, I have a lot of keeping stories. I can promise you that. But every now and then, God has blessed us with some sharing stories. And, and, and one day, I was just driving down the road. I was by myself. Kayla and I, we, we had not been married long, just honestly months, I believe, at the time. We had our two vehicles, his car and her car, and, and that was it. And we were living in a little rented house, and... We're really just kind of scraping by financially. We didn't have a lot. And, uh, and just driving down the road, a particular person came to my mind. And this just random thought went through my head and said, you know what? We ought to give Kayla's car to that person. Now, we're not talking about like a second or third car that's like the old clunker that you're just trying to get off of your insurance. I'm talking about a car that was only a year old and had like 20-something thousand miles on it that was paid for. And I, it's just a random thought, and I let it go. I didn't mention it. I didn't, I didn't even want to say it out loud. I, I figured how dumb would that sound to Kayla if I said, let's give your car away. <laughs> She'd be like, why don't we give your car away and see how well you do with that. The very next day, she and I are sitting at Johnny's Pizza in Sterlington. And we're sitting there. We just sit down to eat. And she says, you know what's been heavy on my heart? I think we ought to give so-and-so my car. I never said a word 
This was a random person who we don't even know, I don't even know if we even knew they were in need of a car. It tears immediately began to stream down my face. We couldn't get rid of those keys fast enough. We drove that car to that place within the next couple of days and threw the keys and ran. So I just, I, it, it, and you know what? I can't tell you. This, was, this wasn't a third or fourth car. This was one of our, these days you've got to have two primary cars. I don't even know how it all got provided, but the bottom line is we've only gone up in vehicles. We've only gone up in vehicles. Thank you, Jimmy Klossner <laughs> and Tab Singer. Thank you very much. It's not about us. It's not about us. What we keep is all we have. What we give, God multiplies. Our lives must become all about others. We began today by looking at the words of Jesus when he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Irrational generosity is all about denying myself. Can I just say it this way? It can't be about me anymore. It must always be about others. It must always be about his kingdom. In every small and every large thing we do, if it's a jester, to a stranger walking into a grocery store, or if it's giving a car away, whatever it may be, that we live with a spirit of irrational generosity. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It must be about others. I've not kept you very long today, and I did that on purpose because I have a very lengthy closing. I'm going to invite Landy to come, but you're going to be up here a little bit because it's a pretty lengthy closing today. I come to share a story with you this morning. There's some people I want you to meet. Some of you in this room, a very few of you have actually met these two people. But for the rest of you, you're fixing to meet them through their grandson. And their other grandson is coming to the keyboard. Harless and Mary Alice Hodge. This message, this me that's Harless and Mary Alice right there. Harless and Mary Alice, this coming July or August, are going to celebrate 72 years of marriage. A couple of months ago, these two people are what inspired this word today and what I've been holding on to for nearly two months now, knowing that it must be our mantra for 2020. Let me tell you a little bit about them. As, you, as I already mentioned, they married almost 72 years ago. Two of the most God-loving people I've ever met. Two of the most generous and giving people I've ever met. They raised their children. They, they raised their grandchildren. They, uh, they did it the right way. They served their fellow man in every way. They were generous in all that they did do. They, they served their church. They were there serving in whatever capacity. My grandfather was a trustee of this wonderful church in Jackson, Mississippi for most of his adult life there in that, as a part of that church. They were part of the same church still to this day for 50 plus years. And it's just amazing. It's amazing to see two people who, who have established a legacy of faith, a legacy of generosity. A, a little bit more about them. They had raised their four children, Landy's mom being the oldest, my mother being the next to the oldest and two more children after that. They raised their children. 
My grandfather worked as a, as a, supervi a construction supervisor with the city of Jackson, Mississippi for, for many years and retired with him. He, on the side, he was, a, he was a concrete finisher and he would pour slabs and, and, and sidewalks and all this and worked hard. Uh, those of you who's been around concrete work, you know there ain't much harder work than that. And he worked hard and he provided for his family and he provided for others. He was just a generous person. I love, my grandparents, they love to argue. They just love to argue. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing. They didn't throw lamps and, and furniture around, stuff like that. It's kind of like Archie and, and, and uh, Edith, you know, they, a bunker, you know. It's kind of like that, that arguing was like one of their love languages, you know. It just kind of, it, it just got more passionately in love with each other the more they argue. And they would just argue over, you know, how much salt's left in the salt shaker. I mean, you know, just, they would find something to argue about. But it was always fun and loving in their house. And it was just always enjoyable to be there. And they were so generous. My, my grandmother would uh, take me to, y'all remember, how many of you ladies remember McRae's? McRae's. Some would say McRae's, others say McRae's, but it was the department store. My grandmother would take me there and buy me clothes. and She'd spend several hundred dollars buying me just a whole big wardrobe. And she'd always say this, she said, don't tell your papa about this. And for the longest, I thought maybe papa would be mad, you know, that she went and spent money and probably put it on a charge card or whatever. And, uh, and by the way, that, they would call it Master Charge. Not MasterCard, it's Master Charge. There's a whole, there's a whole like, library of, of words that I, I, we don't have time for today, but we'll share them with you someday. Uh, ask me or Landy, either one, we'll share them with you. But uh, she said, don't tell your papa. And then I'd go work with my grandfather for a day or two, where I basically washed off some tools for a couple of hours. He'd slip me a couple $100 bills, and he'd say, now, don't tell your mama. What I realized later was, it wasn't that either was going to be mad about the other doing it. They wanted, them to, they wanted me to think that they loved me more than the other one did. So they were trying to outgive one another is what they were trying. That's why they didn't want the other one to know. I'm going to tell you something. A little 11-year-old boy coming back to Winsboro with a couple of C notes in his pocket in 1987, 86. I was flying high, baby. I was flying high. I'm going to tell you something. Papa was generous to Kevin. I had, a, I had a first cousin, my, my, my grandparents' youngest daughter, Nyla, she had a daughter who was born brain damaged, completely brain damaged. She could not walk, she could not talk. Um, she had no function really whatsoever. She was essentially a living vegetable is what she was. And at the age of two, it was contemplated that she would be placed in a home, um, but my grandparents would not hear of it. They said, that's not going to happen. They took her in. Now that they're at their prime of their life, they've raised their children, and now they've taken on a completely almost lifeless grandchild that they raised for the next 18 years of their lives. For the next 18 years of their life, one of them at all times was tethered to their home. That neither one of them would trust anyone else to watch Lucretia. We called her Sissy. And, and, and they would feed her, they would bathe her, they would move her physically from a chair to a bed all day long, every day. They would process her food and feed her, and they would bathe. I mean, it was, it was endless. It was around the clock, 24-7. She didn't sleep at night, so they, whoever was sleeping with her, which 99% of the time was my mama, would have to be up half the night dealing with Lucretia. And, and, and 18 years they always loved going to church together. Church was the epicenter of their life. For those 18 years, they never once were able to go to church together. They rotated. One would go Sunday morning, the other would go Sunday night, the other would go Wednesday night, and they would ro rotate it all over again. I wish that some of us could remember that sometimes, and we think, I think I'll just sleep in today. Today's the only day I get to rest. I think about my mama and papa, who all they wanted to do was just go and sit in church together and worship together. They were never able to do that for 18 years. 
giving. They gave to everyone. Just a generous spirit, loving everyone. Their families were huge, not their immediate family, not their children. I'm talking about siblings. My grandmother had, I think, 11 brothers and sisters. And her mother, who I remember, Granny Spell, they took her into their home and, and took care of her in her final days. For, so for a season of time, maybe a year or so, they were taking care of a, a young child who was, a, who, was a, who was brain damaged. And they were dealing with a, a, a mother that was dying all at the same time. And all of this happening in a little 950 square foot home with one bathroom that you have turned sideways to get into. And a floor furnace. How many of you lived in a house with a floor furnace? No central heat and air. Still to this day, living in that same house since like 1962, to this day. Still with a floor furnace and window units. And they're as happy as can be. They've lived a life of generosity. But can I just tell you, here's kind of, the, here's kind of where it takes a little bit of a negative twist and turn. It wasn't that many years ago whenever... Some of their health started failing them some. Now, for him to be nearly 94 years old and her almost 89, they're in tip-top shape in my opinion. But don't ask them that. <laughs> They'll tell you a different story. To them, they're dying, okay? But that's just an, that's an inside family story there. They, their health started failing and they weren't able to go and do. They couldn't go to church anymore. They don't have a television in their home. Now, there was a time when I might would have criticized this, but my grandfather said in the church he grew up in, they taught you're not supposed to have a TV in your home. And he said, if it was wrong 50 years ago, it's still wrong today. And he's held true to his principles. Now, whether I believe it's wrong or not is irrelevant. If he believes it's wrong, he ain't gonna have a TV in his home. But I did sneak an iPad in there with, with internet service. And he can get the local news. He just don't realize it's TV. It's just... <laughs> so anyway, that's a whole other story too. But. Nevertheless, they sit in those two recliners all day long. They can't go anywhere, maybe an occasional doctor's visit, and that's it. So over the last couple of years, I'm just going to tell you, they've gotten a little negative. They kind of see the glass half empty and not so half full anymore. Honestly, we go to visit now, and after about 15 or 20 minutes, we kind of run out of things to talk about. Because, you know, we can only talk about what's going on in our life so long, and they don't have a lot to say because they just sit there all day long. They talk about their ailments. They're still trying to out-ailment one another. You got, I think I got that. I, so-and-so, I heard so-and-so. You know, I felt that in my back, too. You know, I probably got that, too. You know what I'm talking about. That's what, that's what the conversations are these days. Except for this one day. Many of you know that I just came through a little episode in my life called an election. <laughs> it was a little disappointing, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm probably going to do it again at some point, but nevertheless, it was the last week of that election in November. I'm going to tell you something. Somebody told me in the beginning of that it would be the hardest thing I ever did. I didn't believe them because I said, I've been through some pretty tough stuff. And by the way, I'm made for this. I love people and blah, 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 blah. No, they were right. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done. My, my motives were questioned and everything that I did. It was just, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was terrible in a lot of ways. Next time it'll be better. But, but nevertheless, it was that last week of the election, just a couple of days before the election. And I just, I just said, you know what? I got to get away from everything for a little bit. I, I, I need to get out of Louisiana for a little bit. Just this whole political thing and the, all this, I just need to go. So I drove to Jackson, Mississippi, 
and I went to my grandparents' house. I'm thinking I'm going just to bless them and visit with them, as we do often. I'll go and trim their bushes or help do something around the house or fix something that needs to be repaired or whatever and just spend some time blessing them. And what I realized is for the last couple of three years or so, that's what primarily we have done as family. We've blessed my grandparents. They've been sort of the recipients. We go and what can we do for y'all? How can we serve y'all? So we want to bring y'all some food. We want to, we want to, let me fix something for you. Let's spend some time with you. Let's make you feel better. That's what we've done. And it's amazing that about the time that we started doing that, was about the time that they started being a little bit more negative and a little bit more, you know, selfish. Let's just call it what it is. I can't believe I just called my grandparents selfish. I'm not, I take that back. But it was during that, it was that same time. But on this particular day, I was beat down. I was broken. I was physically exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted. I was spiritually exhausted. I, I was just at my end, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even realize it until I walked into my grandparents' creaking house that morning, and my grandmother comes walking from the back room with her walker. No doubt about to tell me about how bad everything is in their lives. <laughs> my grandfather just got a cancer diagnosis. He ends up going through a five-hour cancer surgery. 93 years old, a few weeks after that. Amazing, doing amazingly well. I'm about to hear about all this negative and bad, but as soon as my grandmother walks from around the corner, I went to hug her as I always do. And when I did, I couldn't let go. As soon as I grabbed a hold of my mama, my tears, the tears started flowing, and I broke. I lost it. I felt secure. I felt safe. I'm at Mama and Papa's house. All that junk I've been dealing with in Louisiana and all that, all that disappears now. I'm with Mama and Papa. Papa came over with his walking cane and put his hand on my back. And the two of them stood there and they began to pray. Pray for me like they've never prayed for me before. And they loved on me. Kevin, it's going to be okay. God's got you. And I sat down in their living room and where ordinarily it would be about a 20-minute visit because that's when we'd run out. I looked at my clock later. I'd been there for three hours. Three hours and these two people were pouring positivity, encouragement, and strength and love into my life. And as I sat there, the longer I sat there, the stronger I got, the more secure I became. And I, I said, who are these two people? Where did they go? These are the two people I've known my whole life, and they disappeared for the last couple of years. Where have they been? And I realized they've not been given the opportunity to be generous. And for the first time, instead of somebody coming trying to meet their needs, for the first time in many years now, they were finally able to meet somebody else's need. And when that happened, life began to come out of them. Joy began to come out of them. Prayer began to come out of them. Hope began to come out of them. And you know what they began to do? They began to talk, oh, you know what, Papa's got this cancer thing he's got to deal with. They say it's going to be a big surgery. He's going to do fine. Oh, I'm going to be fine. Ain't nothing going to, oh, I, that's going to be, I'm going to come through that with flying colors. I ain't even worried about that. Bubba, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. We're going to pray for you. You're going to be just fine. Life is good. There's a lot of great stuff in the future. We're going to live a long time. You're going to live a long time. Life is going to be good. Because you know what? We find life when we give life. And as much of a blessing as that day was for me, 
and as transforming as it was for me at a very key moment in my life, I want to tell you something. They needed that day. They needed the moment to have irrational generosity in their life to pour out and to give out because when you give, you receive so much more. The first thought that we have that, well, I deserve this or I don't need to be this or I, should, I ought to be able to have this. Every selfish thought that we have in 2020, can we dispel that thought and renew that thought with a thought of where can I give? Every time I think I need something, can I give something? I'm reminded of the one time I was on staff at a church in West Monroe and I was just going through a dark season in my own life, had gone through some circumstances that were really tough, and I was just, I was kind of in a place of what most people might call depression. I don't know if I labeled it that, but that's where I was. It was a dark time, and I said, I knew deep down inside that if you give life, you'll receive life. And so I thought, who's in the hospital? Who can I go visit? If I can go visit somebody, encourage somebody, nobody was in the hospital except one lady who was on life support. She couldn't talk back to me. She was on a ventilator in Glenwood, and I went, I just said, well, I'll just go. And I walked in that IC unit. I just stood there over for a little while and I prayed for and I did kind of the things that you do. And nothing was happening. It was selfish on my part. I, was, I knew that if I gave, I would get. I looked over in the corner on the table and there was a, 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 there was a, a tube of, of lotion, skin lotion. And I, I took some of the lotion, those dry, scaly hands that were laying there dormant for God knows how long. And I just began to rub that lotion on those hands. And that dead life, the dead hand, the skin, began to come alive again. And as that skin and that hand began to come alive again, something came alive in me. And in that moment, I was reminded that the way to receive life is to give life. I'm going to tell you something. If you have a great financial need in your life, this is the time to give. Find a place to sow. I don't even want to go into the method of the, 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 the concept of tithing and all of that. We preach on it about once every 10 years here at Life Church. But if you're not tithing, tithe because, because that's, where, that's where the windows of heaven open up in our lives. See, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford not to tithe. If, if, if I need forgiveness in my life, if, if I'm walking around with a bunch of shame and condemnation, it's time for me to start forgiving some folks. I need to look, go down my list of the folks I'm harboring stuff on and I need to let it go. I need to forgive them because to find forgiveness, I have to give forgiveness, if I need some love in my life, if I need some nur nurture in my life, it's time for me to start giving love and giving nurture instead of having the selfish mindset of who's going to love me? Why ain't anybody going to come care for me? I need this and I need that. It's time to give. It's time to give. I'll, I will never throughout, at least through this year, as we live with irrational generosity, I will never forget the look on my grandparents' face, faces as they sat there in their recliners with joy in their life life-giving because life came back into their life because they were giving life. If we keep what we have, that's all we'll have. But what we give, God multiplies. Would you stand with me today across this room? Today, I just want us to end this service just this way. I want us to make a declaration in our hearts, you don't have to do it out loud. It doesn't have to be a loud expression. But in our hearts today, just to declare, this year, 2020, I'm going to live a life of irrational generosity. I'm going to, as I leave out of this room today, I'm looking for a place to give. Where can I sow? 
Where can I give? Where can I give? Who needs kindness? Let me find the one who needs kindness. I need kindness, but since I need kindness, I'm going to give kindness. Where can I forgive? It doesn't make any sense to forgive, but I'm, who can I forgive today? What can I let go of today? Looking for an opportunity to give. Because if I keep what I have, it's all I'll have. But what I give away, God multiplies over and over and over again. I want to tell you something. He multiplies it over for generations to come. There were people who were giving. There were people who were giving when my father was just a toddler. They gave of their time because he lived in a home at the time where the husband and the wife, the mother and the father, were alcoholics. They were as far away from the things of God as anyone could be. But somebody said, you know what? If there's a door, I'm going to knock on it. And and the three ladies in the city of Alexandria said, Alexandria, Louisiana said, we're going to knock on every single door in the city of Alexandria to share the love of Jesus Christ with every home, with every family, with every person who will open an ear to hear and open a door to hear. We're going to share it. And you know what? Those three ladies made good on that vow. They said, one day they woke up and said, where's a door? Where can we give? Where can we give our time? Where can we give our energy? Where can we give our prayer? And they knocked on every door, and one of those doors was the Bates house. And life, there was a life-changing moment that happened. And because of what someone sowed three generations ago, today we're all reaping from it. Life Church is here today because of that sacrifice. And let me tell you something, there are hundreds, there's possibly thousands of other life churches all across the world because of the sac- because of when someone says, you know what, I want to give. I want to give. Irrational generosity. It would have been easy to sit back and say, we're just going to meet on the need of our folks. We're just going to love on the folks that God places in our life. But they said, no, we're not good with that. I want to give. I want to give. I want to give. I want to give more. I want to give more. When you've given all you can give, find something else to give. When you've given all of that, look for something. I'm going to tell you something, because when we're giving, it's not going to be hard to find more to give. Because when you give, God just continues to send send more. And, and, And we've heard the message, give to get. Give so you can get more. That's the distorted message. The real message is give so that, yes, you'll get, but so that you can give more. So really the message is give so you can give. Give so you can give. Give so you can give. Give so you can give and give more and give more and give more. Let's be contributors and not consumers. I began today and I'll end today by saying I'm preaching to the choir today. I'm looking at a group of very generous people. You just know how to love and you know how to give in every way. But I just wanted to reinforce it in us today. Let it be our mantra. Let it be our heartbeat. Let it be our life every single day, every waking moment. For some of us, we need to forgive our spouse. Some of us, we need to receive forgiveness from our spouse. For some of us, we need to, we need to forgive some family members. We, need to, we just need to give, give, give till you can give no more. Father, I thank you today for the greatest sacrifice that was ever given to mankind. God, when you went to Calvary and you gave everything, love gave, love gives. God, you gave all, even to the point of death. You didn't deserve it because you were perfect, but you had to do it because you were perfect. It had to be the perfect spotless lamb given for the sins of the world, and you did it, God. 
you gave it all for us. We were undeserving, God, but you did it. You settled the sin debt once and for all. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving everything so that we could have life and life everlasting. And God, I know that you have admonished us, you have encouraged us, you have, you have pushed us and you have challenged us to give, to give life, to give love, to give forgiveness, to live with irrational generosity. So God, today I pray that you will let it become alive every one of our hearts and spirits. May our, may our vision become so keen, Lord. May we see every need, God, so that you can pour through us every time we're tempted to feel selfish. What about my need? What about what I want? What about what's going on in my life? What about my dire straits? Every time those voices come, God, I pray that you will, your Holy Spirit will quicken within us and remind us of what this thing is really all about. It's about giving it's about serving. It's about pouring out. And every time we're tempted to receive, God, in those moments, just to give even more. And God, I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for the heart of these people, God, who so willingly and so joyfully give of themselves in every way, serving their man, uh, the fellow man, God, serving and giving into your kingdom, sowing financially, sowing time and energy and effort, Lord, and prayer into your kingdom. But God, I pray that you take us to another level this year. God, take us to another place. We draw us, God, to a nearer place with you, God. A place of giving, irrational generosity in our lives. And we give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing Having these hands and multiply. God. Sing that with us. Take all. Take all. I have in these hands and multiply. God, all that I am and find my heart on the altar again. Set me on fire. Set me on fire. Here I am. Here I am.
all to you, God. We surrender. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, God, for speaking your word today. And thank you, Kevin, for delivering it so beautifully, reminding us that it's not all about us. Wow. Anybody feel challenged and inspired at the same time? What an incredible, what an incredible word. Thank you. Thank you, God. Well, God bless you. I hope you leave and have an incredible week. And God does amazing things in your generous, generous life. We hope to see you again Sunday. God bless you. Amen.